Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, Captain Chris here, Speckled Truth Podcast, back with another episode. Uh, I got Captain Shane Mayfield on the other line uh, from down south in Venice, Louisiana. So Shane, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Chris. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. So, hey, before we get into it, kind of a customary question uh, I ask pretty much every guest is to tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been guiding down in the Venice area, the lower Plaquemines area, and yeah. uh, again, how you got into fishing and guiding. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I was born and raised in Port Suffolk, Louisiana, and, and those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's about uh, about 60 miles, uh, you know, 60, 70 miles, well, 60 miles or so south of uh, New Orleans or whereabouts and you know so my whole life growing up you know I, I mean I just loved to hunt and fish and fishing was my first love so you know I did it I, I fish fish you know forever and then you know I went to college at LSU and um, you know I got an environmental degree but you know all through college I actually fished because my father he uh, was running a lodge down there for a corporation and uh, they took some of their customers and some of the executives fishing so I kind of helped him out with that you know, all through college. And then, you know, I got out of college and, you know, I went to work and I was wearing a coat and tie and, you know, it'd be a beautiful day and I'd be stuck in an office and, and, uh, and I still got it on the, on my weekend. So, you know, I just decided after about a year and a half of working that I was going to, you know, you know, I said, you know, I just love taking people fishing and Hey, I was, you know, young and I said, man, what better way to make a living? So, uh, you know, I started guiding full time and, uh, around about 96 and, uh, you know, I've been with it. I've been uh, doing it, uh, you know, ever since full time. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I do. Yeah. So a couple of parallels there for me and you is one, we both went to, to LSU, go Tigers and uh, both yeah, got an right. environmental degree. Right. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. but also too, I kind of grew up on a camp down in Port Sulphur. And so when you kind of mentioned that you grew up there, um, yeah, I mean, our camp was located on Martin Lane, which I'm sure you're super familiar with right there in Happy Jack. Yeah. And, uh, 441 Martin Lane was our, was our place, man. And that's where, you know, the, the Port Sulphur area right there, kind of Bay Samboa, um, and that whole area, um, Bay Lanu, all that stuff south. And, and really that was kind of my stomping grounds. That's still my home waters. Yeah. And I know you see my pops down there at the Port uh-huh. Sulphur boat club and his boat. And so, um, but man, I've, I've seen you in, you know, growing up watching you know tv louisiana outdoors tv louisiana sportsman tv with kevin ford and and just again kind of completely enamored myself with fishing in the outdoor industry and just understanding uh that i could not get enough content back when i was younger and so yeah i would love watching those shows that you were on uh with kevin ford and and filming a lot of that stuff south in venice and in empire and burris and those areas and in really kind of became a fan of, of kind of what you do and, and kind of your fishing style. And so, um, it's kind of surreal to have you on the podcast because I followed you for, for quite some time. And I'm, I'm really appreciative, man, that you actually uh, decided and, and wanted to join and, and be a part of the podcast. 
Oh, it's it's my pleasure. You know, I mean, I I um, you know, I I I got into this because I you know I love to fish and I and I like take taking people fishing and you know as I've gotten older, it's more about. You know, it's not it's not about the numbers of fish for me. It's about, you know, just sharing my love for fishing with other people. Um, and, you know, like I'm doing today with you. I mean, you know, you you're kind enough to invite me to talk on the, on your podcast. And, you know, so I, I hey, I'm as appreciative as you are to, to be on here, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's I can never talk, uh, you know. You know, all we do as guys is talk about fishing and I can never not talk about fishing, you know, so I'm, I'm good with it. I mean, and then I always tell people, man, if you, you know, you don't have to, you know, I'm, I, I, you can call me to, to book, if you don't, you don't have to book a trip. If you got a question about fishing, call me. I love to chat, you know, That's so, cool. so yeah, it's, it's a good deal. And I'm, and I'm glad you got me on here. Yeah. The accessibility that you have is, is pretty, pretty unique. And, uh, one of those shows that I watched, uh, I guess earlier on, maybe it was like early 2000s, maybe mm-hmm. uh, with Kevin Ford was that it was a show. I think y'all filmed it maybe at the mouth of the river where you're all targeting big trout on top water. And yeah. I think the, I think the title, it was kind of weird. is like sarsaparilla or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that like yeah. you're saying for big trout or what? Well, that, we just, I don't even know, like a friend of mine, one of my goofy buddies used to always say, well, that's a, that's a big sassy, a big sarsaparilla, you know, for a big trout. So it just kind of stuck for a little bit, you know? And, uh, that was probably during that time when we were using that phrase a lot. And, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, it's funny because, you know, when we talked the other day before we, you know, when you asked me to do this and, and I, you know, and then, and, and then I'm looking at the, you know, you were talking about, you know, different, sh- just different shows. And I said, man, I, I forgot all about that. But whenever you, you know, I've been doing this a long time, but whenever you, you said that word and it's like, you know, I remember exactly the show. I remember exactly where we were, you know, and it just, um, you know, back then and it, yeah, it was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, we, we had, you know, and we'll get into that more, but, you know, a fishery, the fishery down here and all those places you mentioned in Port Self or all the way down to Venice, you know, it was just unparalleled as a, as a fishery for redfish, you know, speckled trout and redfish mm-hmm. years ago. And then, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll talk about that, but, but, uh, you know, I have many fine memories and that show was one of them, you know, throwing, you know, top dogs and, mm-hmm. you know, just walking the dog and having those big, you know, big, you know, for us, you know, you know, you, you, you could catch a solid average, you know, of a three, four plus pound trout, you know, just throwing top orders, you know, and, and uh, yeah, some of those trips you don't forget. And that, that definitely was one of them. Yeah. So you, you particularly got out of Venice and not Port Sulphur, or you kind of run really all, all of I, Highway 23? I, yeah, all of Highway 23. And I mean, I've always done that. I mean, when I first got into the business, you know, way back, I mean, really and truthfully, you know, we never had to go to Venice, um, mm-hmm. for, for, for the most part. I mean, the fishing, you know, the fishing was so good back up that way when I was first getting into it that, you know, we didn't have to go to Venice. Now we, mm-hmm. we did it some, we did sometimes, but, but basically, you know, the way it worked is we went, as we started trend, you know, changing, you know, we'd fish in Port Salford, you know, say starting from the, you know, wintertime, you know, starting, let's say starting from January. Well, you know, you weren't doing a whole lot of fishing in January, February, just because of the weather. But as you got into, you know, you know, March, April, you know, May, we fish in Port Selfie area in June. And when it started getting hot, we transfer down to Venice because Venice is a little deeper water. 
you know, closer to the Gulf as far as, you know, your access fish getting the deeper water when it gets a little hotter, mm-hmm. uh, moving water from the river. So it was cooler. So, yeah. So then we'd stay in Venice and then, and, and then the fall in Venice was incredible or you could fish wherever, but yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, to make a, a, a long answer short, you know, I fished from basically from just about, you know, just South of Grand Isle, all the way around the mouth of Mississippi, all the way up to, almost Delacroix sometimes. So yeah, I fished the whole area. It just depends on what's going on with the fish. Yeah. Now in, in, you know, Venice, and I know a lot of our listeners are, you know, a lot of our listeners are out of state and not maybe super familiar with like the fishery in Louisiana. Like we are like Hopedale, Delacroix, you got like places like little happy Jack and back in Magnolia and stuff like that. Right. But one of those names that's kind of you know, a dot in the map that everybody knows, I think mostly in the inshore industry in fishery is Venice, right? And it's known known for its world-class fishing. You know, I think one of the the commercials back in the day was Bass to Billfish, right? Uh, Certainly in Venice. And and I think, you know, having fished Venice a lot, um, certainly, you know, fishing a lot of redfish tournaments and stuff like that, it wasn't my favorite place to fish because of the hazards and and kind of running the river and stuff like that. Uh, but it's insanely unique, you know, with passes and shifting sandbars at the mouth and, and all those, you know, running out of Pasalutra running off, you know, through Baptist Colette, even red pass. I mean, it, it really didn't matter. You'd always kind of have these treacherous, uh, you know, navigable, you know, situations and, and it's kind of hard to explain to people. So if you could, you know, explain the uniqueness maybe of Venice yeah. because I know a lot of people actually may want to go fish there or have fished there, but yeah. from a guy who fishes there probably 300 days a year, you know, kind of hearing it from your own words, uh, really the uniqueness, cause it's really hard to put into words. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's the whole, the, the whole Venice or our fishing area in Venice is all about the Mississippi river. So, mm-hmm. For those people that haven't been down, they aren't familiar with it, you know, look at Google Earth and find Louisiana, find the Mississippi River, and then you you can't miss it, and then trace it down to to where it, you know, it enters into the Gulf. Well, so it's a delta. It's a true delta environment. So you've got the Mississippi River dumping out into the Gulf of Mexico, which, uh, you know, all off of that main river, you have different channels we call passes. And then the passes have little smaller fingers that go out into the marsh. You know, that's what's been built by Mother Nature over time from the river moving back and forth, periods of high river, low river, depositing sediments. So it is a dynamic environment and it is constantly changing. And um, so you've got just, you know, miles and miles of fishy habitat, um, sandbars, you know, uh, you know, you got some shell areas. You know, you've got, you know, deep water, shallow water. But, you know, the real key to Venice and why, you know, it has been and, and, you know, is such a great fishery is that, you know, because of that river, even though we curse it like now, like this time of year when the river's up, you know, those nutrient rich fresh waters, um, you know, they we have a a, a, we just have a plethora of bait fish. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and I haven't fished a whole lot of places, but. You know, I've taken customers from all over the country, all over the Gulf Coast, and I don't think anybody has the 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 number of bait fish, um, you know, mullet, menhaden, what have you, that we have, and that is the big. That's the reason why, you know, 
in addition to all the habitat, you know, the cover. Um, but, but that's the reason why our fishery is what it is, is because we've, we've got the food source and, mm-hmm. and that's it, you know, but, but yeah, to, to back to what you said, one thing, you know, Venice, because it does change because of its influence by the river, it, it can be a hazard to navigate because you can have places where, you know, one year it'll be eight inches. The next year it's eight feet and, you know, the sandbars move. And unless you're down there all the time, and even if you are down there all the time, you know, we all sometimes, you know, you, you, you know, you, you may not be fishing in the middle of the winter and stuff's changing. And then you go back out in the spring and then you end up somewhere that, like I said, was eight feet is now eight inches and then you're in a, in a bind. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real unique place. And, and it's just, I mean, where else, you know, where else in the United States do we have a river the size of Mississippi dumping out into the Gulf of Mexico? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly one of the largest rivers in the world, and the watershed obviously spans the entire, you know, continental United States, and or most yeah. of it, right? That's right. Uh, and yeah. so the watershed is completely uh, ridiculous. I mean, staying right there at the camp, uh, you know, off Martin Lane, I mean, when a river's high, you can see the bottom of those boats kind of traversing the river, right? I mean, that's how high that water is. Uh, and then obviously when a rock, you know, when a river's low, you know, you can get in the actual river and really target, you know, a lot of those stretches and catch a lot of fish inside the river, you know, head yeah. of passes. I mean, I think it's pretty synonymous, especially when the river's low is kind of being one of those big trout havens where a lot of people catch a lot of, you know, really nice fish. Uh, and yeah. so, wow, you know, the uniqueness of that area, it's really hard to fathom and hard to describe to mm-hmm. folks. But even outside of that, I think fishing in Louisiana is really hard to describe to people that aren't from there because obviously I think what we're most synonymous for, and I can say this cause I'm from there is, mm. you know, dock shots, man. I mean, we, we have, yeah. and, and we are the place where the take, um, is really kind of normal, right? I mean, there's just mm-hmm. so many wheelbarrow loads and, and, you know, dock shots and, and fish cleaning table pictures loaded with fish. Um, that's, I think what we're synonymous for, but to your point is, you know, the, 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 the fishery in the habitat in the bait fish and the sustainability, uh, of mother nature providing the food source and all that stuff was able to support such an enormous biomass, um, Mm -hmm. of that, you know, of that fishery. But, you know, to, to what we were talking about a little bit, and that's part of the reason, you know, on here is to kind of, you know, talk about how that may, have changed and and how that is changing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, and, and, you know, uh, we talked about the the uniqueness of the, of the, of the environment down there in the Mississippi river, but um, you know, everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people know, you know, Louisiana is, is, you know, erosion, coastal erosion Mm -hmm. has really, you know, taken its toll on Louisiana and, um, you know, Venice is no different because I mean, to even though, even though, and I always tell, you know, I give this, I, you know, customers always ask and I, and, and I, and I tell them, I said, well, you know, when man decided to levy off the Mississippi river, which was maybe, you know, almost, I don't know, 90 something, a hundred years ago. Well, mm-hmm. that was kind of the beginning of the end because way back in the day, you know, and it was over geological time, right? But the river would flow back and forth. So like a water hose or let's say a fire hose that's turned on and nobody's holding on to, well, it would just go back and forth over time. And that's what built all these, this area, South Louisiana. Well, when man said, okay, no more of that, 
you're going straight this way. We need you for navigation, for commerce, shipping, what have you. Well, that was the beginning of the end because now you don't have that movement, those new lobes being formed and then back to the West. So you, 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 you get erosion. And so what's happened is, you know, our habitat is shrinking, but because of, you know, you know, Venice, I mean, if people fish a lot and they travel fish and they saltwater fish like we do, you know, they probably heard of Venice. Okay. And so Venice has been kind of a victim of its own success in the fact that, you know, we, we, our habitat is changing yet as far as losing habitat. And, uh, yet we've got increased pressure mm-hmm. and, um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if you have, you know, less habitat, you know, changes of the salinities, less productivity from your spawns, yet you're having an increased pressure. You have an increased pressure, one, from more people every year because of popularity. Two, you've got less areas, so that increased pressure is on smaller areas. It doesn't take, it, it's not a very hard equation to figure out what the end is going to be if mm-hmm. that continues. Yeah. And in, in one of those things that we were texting back and forth, and you texted me this article and I read it and in your text, you're like, dude, read below, um, I think one more time. And you can't help but kind of think back about Louisiana. And when it was about, it was about the Amazon Delta, right? And yeah. both being deltas, both being large, you know, river systems in the world uh, and having enormous watersheds. And one of those, and, and this is kind of to your point, which was talking about like the biological diversity uh, mm-hmm. in that fishery. And so what had happened, obviously, in the Amazon and kind of equate that to what we're at today, i.e. oil and gas, uh, is mm-hmm. that you once had these, you know, kind of enormous ecosystems that were kind of naturally flowing and just big, right? I think is what it said in the article. Mm-hmm. and when you start to kind of piecemeal and carve it up into subsects or, you know, like small sections, you, you lose a little bit of that biological diversity um, by before they were all connected. Now you're kind of daisy chaining them, you know, and, and it's kind of losing that diversity. Well, shoot. I mean, certainly in like Lafitte, you know, Myrtle Grove, certainly Port Sulphur, you look at those pipeline canals, no man's land is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I mean, it had been completely, you know, carved up by oil and gas And what you had was great diversity, uh, or great productivity, because it was, you know, so diverse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now you carve it up to now it's literally washing away. And now you don't have the actual ecosystem to support what was once there. And so I thought that was a really solid parallel, Shane, uh, from that article. And I definitely see it. I feel through the lens uh, that you're seeing that through, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it was, yeah, it was actually, I think it was called, it was, it was the paragraph. It was one big thing. One big thing. So, so basically, yeah, like you said, I mean, think about it. It's, um, you know, if you've got just a huge area, it is that it, it does, you know, it, it, it sustains so much more. And I say area, you know, you need to have habitat. Well, mm-hmm. when the habitat starts breaking down, you know, smaller habitats, you know, get destroyed quicker and then you lose your, you know, your biodiversity. That's that's in this Amazon thing. Well, it's the same thing with our fishery, um, you know, and it's funny because, I, you know, if you go a little further to the west of here, 
um, up, oh, you know, on the other side of Homa, um, mm-hmm. Dulars, you know, they still have, um, because they, they haven't been ravaged by coastal erosion like we have on, in, in, in the southeast, but they still have, you know, they'll have bays and they'll mm-hmm. have deep bayous and they have smaller marshes. So they've got, you know, they've got the, the marshes that are shallow where the, the smaller fish can, you know, there's a nursery, what have you. But they're connected by bayous and the bigger bays. Well, the bayous act as, you know, the deeper bayous are good when it gets cold. The fish get, so, so, so it's diverse. It has, the right, it has the right setup to sustain more numbers and to make sure that the juvenile fish get a chance to, you know, get from the juvenile stage to the adult stage. Where now what we're seeing in our area is, um, you know, everything is, is so washed away that we don't have that definition like we used to have. And then you put on periods of high river. Um, so now your salinities are changing. And, um, you know, it's just, I mean, it really is. It's a shame. We, we, are, we are still very successful and we still have a very good fishery in Venice because of that Mississippi River and the amount of bait. But, um, you know, because of the loss of land and the destruction of the, 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 the habitat, um, you know, we're, we're not like we used to be. We're not yeah. quite the fishery we once were. You know? do, you, do you feel like it's a more seasonal fishery based on the river, right? I really do. I, I do now. I feel like, um, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, um, you know, like, like for instance, the last couple of days, you know, the winds, you know, April's always, you know, late March, April's always crazy, right? Well, we've been having winds out the yin yang. I mean, can't one day, one day, I mean, one day blowing, you know, like yesterday was 20, 25 Northeast. Today was East, Southeast, 15 to 25. Tomorrow's 15 to 20. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's blowing. Well, well, this time of year when the river's up and if you get those winds shifting around all the time, well, the water doesn't have a chance to settle. Mm-hmm. So you're getting fresh water from both sides getting pushed, you know, getting, and it gets real dirty and it just makes it tough to catch fish. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it's more, I, I, I don't know if I'd say, I mean, it is seasonal, but it's seasonal based on just it, your, your seasons. If your, your winds, you know, if you had a sustained wind out of the Southeast, for 15 to 20 every day, well, yeah. then you'd have one side of, cause it, because, you know, the way Venice is set up, the way our fish is, we can fish each, both sides of the river, east and west, so mm-hmm. we can get away from the wind. But, um, you know, it's more seasonal because we don't have as many places to hide, mm-hmm. and if the wind's shifting around a lot and you're high river, then this time of year can be really tough. And then, you know, as the river goes down, you know, your fishing's good all the way up through November, maybe into December if you're lucky. Then the river bumps up, and then you're back to, you know, you know, you're back to, you know, some yeah. days really struggling, you know. Yeah. So we would see that, and and we weighed fish the passes out of Port Sulphur Empire, you know, Chelan Pass, Eddie's Pass, Shell Island, all that stuff. And we did that until it, I think Chelan passed – and that was maybe around like 2013, maybe 14, mm-hmm. um, was when they really built that kind of uh, barrier island out there, pretty much from like Bay La Mer all yeah. the way over to Shell Island Pass, right? And and 
And what we found was, is like growing up, you know, in the mid nineties or so, yeah, when a river was high, we never really paid attention to it. It was more like, I'd say seasonal in that respect where like, if it was May, late April, May, and if it was warm enough to wet wade, we were out in the passes catching trout or mostly redfish to start. And then kind of trout would kind of start filtering in there. Mm-hmm. But I remember the water being, you know, pretty clean, fairly salty. Uh, and obviously as the summer wore on, it would get saltier and saltier. You know, I didn't know any better, but it's because it, now looking back, it's probably because that river was falling. Right. Mm-hmm. But later, you know, in like the 2013, when it started to, to, to kind of close up and really starting to pay it a little bit more attention to that mm-hmm. when you would have like a Southeast wind, um, you know, hard Southeast, even actually it wouldn't even necessarily have to be like hard Southeast, but you'd get a lot more river water pushing out of red pass and you'd see a lot more hydrilla coming down a beach yeah, and a lot of that floating grass, right. Which is pretty much indicative of like fresh water. Right. And you taste mm-hmm. the water. It, it wouldn't have as much salt to it. And my point to that is, I don't know if it was because we lost so much land in those kind of what 20 ish years mm-hmm. where that was kind of maybe acting as a little bit of a buffer to now, you know, no man's being kind of wide open and, and really Bastion Bay and all that area kind of being open. Now it kind of had kind of free reign to kind of come out of Red Pass or coming out of South Pass yeah. and coming out of, you know, now kind of blowing up the beach, if you will. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at, whether or not it was, you know, to some extent, maybe seasonal. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're right. Like in the Port Suffer area, that's exactly what the problem is. You know, you don't have the marsh, you know, along Bastion Bay, um, no man's land. See, that area used to be a more solid, solid landmass. Yeah. So, you know, when the river would come up, um, you know, when the river would get blown, you know, up from the south, well, you know, you had all that, all that marsh kind of kept it at bay. Mm-hmm. And then you had the water back in no man's and all in the bays that was stays hot, good and high salinity. So when the tide dropped out, that water was out on the beach, right? Yeah. Or, or what have yep. you. Well, now, now because it's so eroded down on the west side of east, west side of Venice, that water not only comes out of Red Pass, it comes out all over the place coming yeah. through there. And then there's nothing to stop it when it's coming from the west. So, so the the seasonality based on the, you know, based on the river is definitely more pronounced now in the Venice area than it used to be. Now, don't get me wrong. We still can go down there when the river is filthy dirty. And, you know, there's days, you know, if you get a good incoming tide, because because the way Venice kind of is, the peninsula sticks out into the Gulf. Yeah. I mean, and I should, we probably should have said that earlier in this podcast, but, you know, you can be sitting in Venice and basically catch, you can be catching bass and look out and see rigs in the Gulf of Mexico right there. So. Yeah. So basically what it is, is that you, you go from maybe, you know, you might be in two feet of water and within, you know, not very far, you're in a hundred feet of water. So you have the ability of the tides to come in, a good Gulf water to move in under the dirty river, river water. Mm-hmm. And even though the river may be up, we still can catch the heck out of fish, but you've got to have the right winds and all that stuff. So because of it's so more open now, it's definitely more seasonal based on mm-hmm. if the river levels more than anything. Yeah. Now, like as a guide though, you know, in fishing there with, you know, with the amount of erosion that we've had, I mean, have you had to modify your approach, you know, to putting, you know, guests and clients on fish every day, uh, 
you know, based on, you know, obviously that dynamic change in the actual fishery or, or can you talk us through that modification or, or your approach? I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, people who fished down here years ago, one, the, the, one of the, the first big changes, and it's probably, you know, was the live bait situation. Years ago when I first started, we never, ever, ever used bait. Um, we may use dead shrimp if it was, you know, market shrimp. If, right. you know, it was just real dirty and we were going down to the mouth of the river to try to catch the big bull reds on the bottom. But for the most part, in most of my years of guiding, it was soft plastics on a jig head when we were behind Empire, Burris, what have you. Um, you know, and then when we went down to Venice, because sometimes you did have a little more stain water on top, it would be soft plastic sometime now under a cork, you know, popping yeah. it. So we never use bait and everybody would get on the boat from other places, you know, in Louisiana, because a lot of other places they are, they use bait and we, what are we using for bait? Well, we're using these plastics. What? And we catch <laughs> all the fish, you know, which I mean, in Texas is not a big deal because a lot of people yeah. most, well, up until the, you know, up until people probably started throwing croakers and stuff, a lot of people yeah. just fish soft plastics. Well, that's all we ever use with soft plastics. And so, you know, throwing wine, what have you. Well, then when, whenever it got to be where our waters weren't as clean and it was more pressure um, for the life of me, you know, then you started having guys show up that, you know, they, some of the, and, and you know, I won't mention any names, but I can tell you some of the best guides we got now and for many years, if they couldn't throw live shrimp, they wouldn't be at, they, 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 they'd cancel. I mean, they mm -hmm. wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't have been as successful because they started coming down to Venice when nobody was throwing live bait and that's the way they like to fish. So they throw live bait. Well, I mean, and for some reason, which I still can't explain to this day, we saw immediate, it doesn't take very long to see that, you know, when you'd pull up to a spot where you were used to throwing plastic and Joe blows down, not too far from you throwing bait. Well, he was going to pull your fish away from you. Yeah. So we had to start using live bait as well. And, uh, you know, and, and that was the first big change. And then as we've lost our habitat and we've had to deal with more of the rivers, you know, customers, uh, expectations, you've, you've had to work on trying to, you know, change the expectations of the customers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have gone as far as, cause I saw the writing on the wall with the change of the habitat, but you know, I do not have quite as many meat fishermen. And when I say meat, you know, people that want to load up, a, you know, limit, limit, limit. I got to have the limit. I don't have hardly any of that. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's because I saw the writing on the wall. And to me, you know, not only, hey, do I want to have to go grind to try to catch a limit just because, you know, it, it, I'd, I'd rather, you know, go out have a customer just wants to go have a nice day on the water, catch some fish. So I've kind of changed my client base, you know, because I just, you know, that I, I don't like the meat fishing aspect of it. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. I still do keep fish, but um, it's not the, that is not the most important thing to the majority of my clients. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we both grew up there, right? I mean, we, we've to some extent been victim of, you know, kind of our upbringing, which was, yeah, you know, pop say, man, anytime we went out, man, like the word was limit. Right. And yeah. And you didn't stop fishing till you got a limit And it. 
frankly wasn't that hard, <laughs> you know, That's growing right. up and and uh, you know, but to your point, which is changing kind of your customer base or at least focusing a little bit more on a little bit more eco-friendly, if you will, kind of customer, but still having high productivity. Um, are you seeing maybe a little bit of more of a shift in mindset for other guides, maybe changing their clientele or the, the, the weekend warrior slash recreational angler kind of going out there with less of a limit mentality and more of maybe like a take what you need and release the rest? I think you're getting a little bit of both. I mean, I think, you know, you're always going to have the person who, you know, they just got to, they, they've got to have as many as they can get. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, they, they don't, they don't think any further than I got to get that limit. You know, it's, it's a matter of machismo or whatever, you know, or just, it just, Hey, we going fishing. I got to get the limit. Well, then I think you're seeing more people who actually, you know, do enjoy, you know, getting out on the boat early in the morning, watching the sunrise as they're running to where they're going, you know, just being out on the water. And they've seen the changes in the fishery and they realize that, you know, you can't just keep everything and expect, you know, there to, you know, at least, and they may not even know, right. They may not even know the ac actual dynamics of the yeah. fishery, but I mean, they, they say, and you know, do I really need to bring 25 home trout home whenever, you know, I'm probably not gonna, you know, I might eat it like tonight or tomorrow. And then after that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to eat it every day. So do I really need to bring all this home? So I think you're seeing a change and you're also seeing a force change because of, the people who were naysayers when I was preaching about this years and years ago about how, look, you know, the fishery's changing. Now they're seeing it and they're saying, whoa, whoa, we got a problem. Well, you know, it sometimes it takes you to, it just takes people a little while to realize that, you know, they need to do a little something to, to help the situation more to than they are, you know, instead of contributing to it, you know. Down South Forest has been making lures for the inshore angler for years now, and it's easy to see why. From their four inch Southern shad to their much larger DSL supermodel to the three inch burner shad, their versatility is really in every angler's arsenal. Uh, better yet, they're actually made here in the USA as well. So support this Texas brand that supports you, the fisherman. Uh, and next time, go check out the hashtag swims in a fall action of a Down South lure. Real Sportswear humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Real's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, wear what guides wear and consider Real Sportswear. Mirror Lure is an iconic brand found in almost every inshore angler's arsenal, from their 17 or 27 MRs to the Mirror Mullet or the Top Dog, even their soft plastic lineup, as well as the Paul Brown series Fat Boys. These lures have been trusted by many anglers across the Gulf Coast and beyond. So next time you're out there looking to fire up a bite, remember, tie on a Mirror Lure and turn on the bite. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky are back again for season three sponsors and we couldn't be more appreciative. These lures and colors, which are produced by some of the most renowned anglers up and down the Texas coast have been producing for decades. 
So whether it's a double D or a fat boy floater and plum nasty Texas turnip, just to name a few. Remember, next time you're looking for that next big bite, the big girls aren't colorblind. Despite its unique name, Stinky Pants Fishing has been making wade fishing gear for the Texas angler for years. Located here in Texas, they make anything from boga floats to boxes, stringers to wade fishing straps, really anything that the inshore angler needs to make their time on the water more efficient and more effective. So check them out at stinkypantsfishing.com and get some equipment to make you a better wade fisherman. I want to welcome Waterloo Rods as our Season 3's newest sponsor. Located in Victoria, Texas, Waterloo builds some of the most functional rods for any inshore application. Whether you're in the market for a carbon mag, an HP light, or a slam mag, or their Salinity series, definitely check them out. Also, check out their Waterloo Pro Shop, which carries most, if not everything, that the inshore angler needs here along the Texas coast. So next time you're in the market for a rod, definitely check out Waterloo Rods, and you might as well fish the best. So I had Todd Masson. He was on the podcast last season. Uh, we had Doc Bob Weiss. I told you that before mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast. And and so we've had some solid representation. Obviously, Pops is on a podcast from folks from Louisiana and Bruce Paul over on the, on the southwest side. My point there was even Todd Masson, and, and very familiar with Todd, uh, but um, – you know, with his channel and, and that was one of the cool things to kind of see and maybe his, you know, social media influence there. But, you know, Todd, you know, I think he was like us and, and kind of grew underneath that same mentality. You know, he went, to, you know, in his videos to where he's he's just doing like a 10 trout limit, right? In yeah. his boat on his videos. And so if it's him and Joel fishing, they'll keep 20 trout instead of 50. Yeah. He, he, honestly, man, like one, it's still a, a lot of fillets. I mean, that's enormous amount of fillets, but outside of yeah. that, man, the fact that 30 fish aren't necessarily harvested yeah. in that one particular trip, that's a big, yeah. that's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, and so it, as small as a, a change as that may be to, at least to me has enormous impact. I feel on the outset of that. And just again, small changes like that I've seen, you know, other folks, Devin Denman, uh, other folks that I follow that are just friends, uh, not keeping as many or throwing maybe some of those larger fish back, uh, 18 to 20, 22 inches, you know, just kind of releasing those back. And, and that's where I think a little bit of that mindset shift is changing, but you still have, you know, the whole meat hall mentality, which I understand. I get it. And it's well within the legal limit, right? And it's, yeah. and it's uh, you know, but like you're saying is it doesn't take long before you see a decline in fishery from what we grew up with. And certainly, uh, you know, you grew up with, uh, fishing down there a lot longer than I have and and being on the water a hell of a lot more than I have. Um, it doesn't take long to really witness the actual, yeah, the productivity decline, uh, in the fishery. Now, don't get me wrong. It's in my opinion, it's still absolutely world-class, yeah, um, but it's not what a shred of what it, I feel is what it once was. No, it, it's not. I mean, it's it's not even comparable. And and that's the you know it's funny you said Todd because see when before Todd you know does what he does did does what he does now when he was you know doing you know articles for you know what Louisiana have you yeah. yeah Louisiana sportsman you know I I told him years ago but see Todd didn't fish as much then as he does now and. 
yeah, he might go out and fish on a trip and do an, do an article, but he wasn't out there day in and day out where he was actually seeing what somebody like myself was seeing. So, you know, that's, that's the problem. Until you get out there and you're out there a good bit, you don't really notice the changes. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, to me, I'd say, you know, one of the big problems with, and, and I don't want to get too far off course, but one of the big problems in Louisiana is the fact that, okay, the head of the wildlife and fisheries is a political appointee. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't know, he may be a big fisherman, but even if he is, you know, he's basically going to do what the governor tells him to do. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always necessarily have the best interests of the fishery at heart. It's a lot of politic politics in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. If you had somebody who was a born and raised in Southeast Louisiana guy who loved to fish like you and I do, that would happen to get on the, you know, be head of the wildlife and fisheries and wasn't, you know, didn't have to listen to his boss, the governor. We, we'd have a whole different, this, this, this fishery in Louisiana would be way better off than it is now because we would have better management throughout the years. You know, they would have seen what was coming and they would have made changes to try to eliminate, to, to, to fix it. But because of, uh, of, you know, out of sight, out of mind or politics getting involved, um, you know, you just are uh, fishery, which like I said, it's still world-class, but it is not even half of what it was when I was a young boy, not even yeah. close. And that's what, to some extent, a little similar here to Texas, right? I mean, I've had a lot of Texas legends uh, on the podcast and them sharing stories of just, I mean, Shane, it, it's really mind boggling, man. Uh, yeah. You know, the amount of large fish that these guys would catch in a day uh, to, for context, you know, um, you know, had Mr. Mike Blackwood, he held the Texas state record for 30, almost 40 years uh, before Jim Wallace broke it with a 13 pound three ounce trout and got a chance to hold that in his house and in talking with him. Well, you know, you go into his house and you got to immerse yourself in his environment. And as you're kind of walking through his house, he has all these different artifacts and things. Well, he's got one, I say little, <laughs> it's actually like a, a jelly jar, like a mm-hmm. mason jar. Yeah. Uh, and it's got the otoliths, which are the ear bones. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're all from 30-inch trout. Mm. And they're, it's like almost full. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so you're looking at, you know, hundreds of, of, of trout over 30 inches. And and that was the norm, right? And that yeah. was, that's what we had. Or let me rephrase that. That's what Texans had as a fishery, uh, 70s, 80s, you know, all the way through kind of mid-90s, 2000s. And I think to some extent, that's what me and you had uh, and what we've kind of immersed and and kind of grew up with and understanding in terms of context to what it is today. There's no comparison, in my opinion. And so to say that the fishery is getting better, man, I I just can't say it. And I'm not saying, again, it's bad. I'm just saying it's not it's not better. No, no, it's 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 it'll never be. It'll never be like it was um, for our area, strictly because, you know, the habitat issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you throw the pressure on top of it. I mean, because, but, but habitat's the biggest thing, right? Habitat chain, you know, higher rivers periods, sea level rise, what have you. I mean, because, you know, back, back when I was growing up, we had gill nets in the water. 
Jeez. and we still had more fish. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we had more. Okay, I'll go off the subject of trout. Go to redfish. We had more redfish in the waters back then than you can shake a stick at. And it was not uncommon to go out in, in no man's land behind Port Selford and see gill nets. I mean, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot of changes that have led to our fishery not being what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we kind of digress. But, yeah, I mean, it's starting – people are starting to wake up um, and say, hey, you know, I mean, you know, maybe this isn't going to last forever. And maybe we need to try to do some stuff um, to, to change that. And uh, wildlife fisheries is trying, but like I said, it's a political process, and mm-hmm. sometimes the wheels are slow to get turning whenever there's politics involved. Do you feel like the guide fleet is pretty on board with that, or do you feel like there's some opposition to maybe some regulatory, you know, regulatory regulation change? I can't talk right now. Yeah, I I, I think um, I think it's I mean for people who or it's huge down there. I oh mean, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I, people ask me all the time and I don't even know how many guides we have in Southeast, you know, down here where I'm at, but, um, you know, Port Suffolk of Venice, but it's a lot. I mean, and, and yeah. you know, they all live down here, but they come in, you know, they come in from new Orleans. I mean, I live in bell chase, right. I'm from Port mm-hmm. Suffolk, but, 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 um, I think some of it is, I just still think that, you have it depends on your clientele okay and i get it right i don't have my clientele by choice is a little bit different um i don't have people pulling up with a little tow u-haul behind them full of ice chests wanting to fill every dang thing they can up to bring back to alabama georgia wherever they're going i just don't have that um but some people do and you know if that's your client base um, you know, it's kind of, if that's your client base, you're going to try to deliver that because you want to keep those guys coming. Mm-hmm. Um, also I think some of the guys, they're like that themselves. It's just a macho thing. They want to pull up and, um, you know, lay out a, a whole pile of trout on the front deck of their boat, um, at the Marina. That way everybody can see how many they caught. And it's more for, it's more of a, Hey, look, I hope the other guys see my fish than it probably is about, you know, really the customers. You get what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, yeah. see, like me, I'm different. I don't, I've, I've been doing this a long time. And if, if, if I get a customer that says, Hey, we don't really care about fishing that much. We just want to go riding on the boat. All right, let's go riding. Mm-hmm. If I get a customer that said, look, I want to catch hardhead catfish. Guess what? I'll let him catch hardhead catfish. I don't, I am out there to make sure people have a good time. And as long as those people on my boat get off that boat or on that boat, having a good time and get off that boat and say, Hey, we had a great time today. I've done my job. So I've got less of the meat, meet people in my business because of that. So, but yeah, I think it's changing. I, I think it's changing. I just wish, I just wish it would change quicker because I, even though we're losing habitat, I do know that we have enough habitat left that mm-hmm. if we would take some conservation measures, that we would see fish repopulate those areas. Yeah. And Pops and I were just talking. We just finished our podcast. Well, let me phrase that. It probably has already aired by the time this one comes out. Um, but folks heard Pops say, you know, we were talking about the Hurricane Ida, right? He lives in the river parishes over in Luling. 
and how that area, you know, really got decimated. And he's fished, man, here and there uh, a couple times since the storm, just because that area was so hurt. Uh, but yeah. he said that even, you know, the trips that he's made, he's, he's caught some fish, but it's definitely changed, um, where yeah. he's, you know, out Ron Keel and, in, in, in areas like that. Right. But, um, the point there was, you know, after Katrina, um, we were talking about in the podcast it was like after Katrina, man, like, I don't know about you and you probably have a way different perspective. But at least for me as kind of a weekend warrior, just going out there, enjoying, you know, time fishing with pops or, or really, you know, fishing a lot. Cause I was living in Biloxi at that point. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, man, we, we absolutely mauled the trout. I mean, you could like lick yeah. your finger, put it up in the air and go, okay, we're going over there and just kill them. And the I trout. think it was, yeah, trout. Yeah. Cause I mean, we, we've always been trout guys, but we, I equate that to, man, it was not a lot of commercial fishing really the shrimping industry and and because that area south of port sulfur i mean was was decimated right yeah well you look yeah i mean that's cut you off yeah but i I think the fishing at that time was so good because nobody was on the water so i think mother nature shows its capability of healing herself pretty damn quick if you just let her well i tell people that all the time katrina showed you what conservation would do so after Katrina, the, there were no facilities, no infrastructure mm-hmm. in Lower Plaquemines. There was no commercial fishing going on. There was hardly any guide fishing going on. I mean, well, I, I, was the, I can say without a doubt, I was the first guide back working after Katrina in the Venice area. And that's because, you know, I lived in Belchase at the time, and I – kept my boat at my house. Mm-hmm. I would go down and I, I, we, a buddy of mine and I, who, who he was a fly guide at the time. We uh, secured a, a mobile home just outside mm-hmm. of bell chase. We'd have our people stay there. We'd pick them up in the morning or I'd pick mine up. They follow me down. We go through the checkpoint right there in point Lahash, mm-hmm. And then we go down to Venice and the fishing was off the charts. Now what happens is a lot of times in response to hurricanes, if you have the right conditions as far as salinities, what have you, the fish move in, right? Mm-hmm. They move in for, I say, you know, I don't know this, but this is what I've always thought. They move in to the deeper waters down in Venice or the deeper waters in the bayous. It's protection, right? They move in or they get pushed in or whatever. Well, after the Katrina, they stayed and the mm-hmm. fishing was just off the charts, but there was nobody else around fishing. There yeah. was nobody. So it shows you what a little bit of conservation, you know, does um, for the fishing. Now, people said, well, what about the oil spill? I said, well, that's a little different. The oil spill, you may not have people fishing as much, but you had boats every freaking where. I mean, there was not a spot that was not disturbed. So, (laughs) but, 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 but that's me. I I mean, look, I'm, I would, and look, this is a guy who I can say this because I know it wouldn't hurt my business, but. If today they said, look, catch and release only from here on out, it would very, it would hurt my very business very little. Mm-hmm. And I have actually even toyed with the idea of doing, you know, changing my whole thing and say, look, I'm catch and release only. If you're going to fish with me, it's catch and throw them back. Now I haven't done that totally simply because, um, you know, I don't have a lot of meat people now, and the ones I do are, 
20 plus year customers and they're friends and they're not, we got to catch a limit every time we go kind of people. So if I did come out and say that publicly, Hey, I'm catching release only. Well then, you know, this, as soon as I took my old guys who've been with me for 20 something years to catch, you know, a handful of redfish and kept them a trout and somebody would say, Oh, look at this hypocrite, you know? So, so I haven't gone into doing that full, but, but that, that's definitely, you know, um, you know, I always want to tell, I always, you know, I, I've thought about it simply because it would not, you know, I feel like me not keeping fish is helping, you know, I, I do my part and I have done my part because I've changed that business, you know, not to take the meat fishermen because I do feel like, Hey, if I'm out there 250, 300 days, whatever it is, and I'm not keeping as many fish, then I'm helping out. I'm not hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't even know where I go. I don't even know where we went from there. Oh, the Katrina thing. But, but anyway, yeah. but yeah, it, it's, it's no doubt. Currently, you can do a lot with conservation. We just haven't been a very, we just haven't been very good with conservation in Louisiana. It, and that was just the, that was the most thing that was appalling, not appalling, but eye opening for me uh, at that time was, you know, fishing post Katrina was, man, it extended all the way through the winter time. I mean, it was just lights mm-hmm. out and, Sadly, because uh, I didn't know any better. I mean, we just killed them all, you know? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. It was killing. I mean, man, the fishing on the beach that next summer was out. Of, I mean, it just, it really, it was good. It was really good fishing. I think, again, it was because you just didn't have the pressure. You didn't have, like I said, the shrimpers, the crabbers. Like, there was not a whole lot of people out there. Like, yeah, you know, like you were saying, and it was just unbelievable. But uh, I think back you know, not to beat this horse to death, but if you just put a little bit into practice, a little bit of that with, you know, uh, self-discipline and sustain, you would have, mother nature is really resilient, man. You give her a little, you give her an inch, man, and she will definitely take a mile and and make it way better. And so that's, what's been kind of some extent reassuring here. Uh, not that I'm a, a proponent for limit change and limit reduction. I'm not beating on, I've said this before in podcasts, I'm not on Capitol Hill and, and beating on the doors of the government, you know, bank, you know, claiming that we want to change limits instead. Like I told you, Shane, is I'm, I'm trying to just change people's mindsets a little bit to kind of just consider it. Right. And, and, yeah. and think about the long-term impact an individual decision could have. And that's, I think where you can maybe see some change where it's, uh, really brought from within, right? If we have an angling community that has a little bit more self-awareness, now you're starting to see the the impact of your own personal decisions. And that's that's okay within the community to be a take what you need or catch and release only. It's not scowled upon or you're a hypocrite or name calling all that stuff, right? It's yeah. just doing what's best for the fishery, i.e. for everyone. So um, anyway, anything else up to We've I'm sorry we beat that one to death, man. But no, no, I think it's I mean, worth I, talking about. It yeah. is. Well, it is. I mean, look, if if you know, if you if if you see where the fisheries, and I'm talking about my fishery, yeah. and if you see where the fisheries going, and it's obviously a decline. You know why oppose? And and look, there's nobody in their right mind who's been fishing down here for any amount of time that that can say that the fishery is getting any better. And I'm talking about, you know, Plaquemines yeah. Paris. So if you see that the fishery is changing, should you not be open to 
seeing some changes to try to, you know, maybe slow that, you know, decline down or maybe reverse it? Or should you just keep on catching them until there's nothing left? I mean, now the guide may be, well, I ain't got many years left in this. And I'm talking about a, a guide. So I'm just going to ride it on out and I don't care. I'm going to catch as many as I can. But, you know, me, I, I've got quite a bit time left in this. At least I hope I do. And, you know, I'm saying, look, it's not just for I want to make sure I got a bunch of fish to catch myself. But, you know, I mean, I've got a 13-year-old little girl. And maybe one day, you know, she decides she likes to go fishing a lot. Or maybe she has kids that want to go, that love fishing. Mm -hmm. And I want this... I want what was what is and is still one of the best fisheries in the world to still be here. And yeah. is we we've got the habitat, we've got the climate, we're at the right uh, you know latitude longitude. Why don't we manage it more properly and try to be more progressive in our management, or con and more conservative? And let's see if we can't turn the tide. I mean, yeah. let's just don't act. You know, let's don't. Just, we can't ignore the elephant in the room any longer. We've done it too long now. Yeah. And also, too, I mean, you have and we have in Louisiana what a lot of states do not, and that is the river. I mean, the river yeah. is one of the anomalies in the world uh, that can really, uh, again, has so much uniqueness to it that it can repair, it can heal, it can do all its thing. Just let her do her thing. Let's give her uh, the ability to do that. And, you know, hopefully in 20 years I can ride around with my grandkids, you know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because right. I, I will tell you, you know, uh, going back and, and having fished that since I was a little boy with my pops, you know, out of a, you know, 16 foot, yeah, uh, well, well craft and running out <laughs> freaking all the way to Black Bay and, and you know, running through terror buffs or really actually through four horse, but yeah. long story short, um, and wave fishing the passes, but man, taking my son, both my kids, right? Uh, I have three of them, two of them have been with me because they're old enough, mm -hmm. but having, Mason and Ramsey, who are my nine and my 12 year old, you know, alongside me, you know, with my dad in a boat, bro, that's three generations right there. Yeah, that's right. Running, running to Laraka's Island, you know, and, and, and hitting up them camps and then catching some trout, you know, uh, yeah. throwing, throwing tails, you know, and, and that's right. It's freaking awesome, dude. Um, yeah. And we have a lot more of that to do and, and to say, I just want to see that through. I don't know. I'm so, with you. I'm with you. But, all right, man, enough of the heavy stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. I appreciate you, man. Just oh, no, no. Look, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I look, I, I am, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sell anything to anybody. I got a great fishery and, um, you know, come on down and I'm going to, you know, we're going to, you, you, it's a great, even you need it off. It's just a great place to fish. Southeast Louisiana, mm -hmm. if you've never been, you ain't got to come with me. You come in your own boat, but you know it, and I know it. It's a unique place. It's a great fishery, and I just love to tell people about it. And yep. I'm just passionate about it. I'm born and raised here, and I would love to see this. You know, when I'm when I'm you know old and gray, and and, and you know it's you know, my days are done. I'd still love to be looking at, you know, I don't know what we're going to be looking at that time, but you know, it's going to be something mobile or something. I might have an implant in my head and I can watch the news by just looking, just closing my eyes. But anyway, I want to see fish still being caught in all those areas. Yeah. No, man, there's something about it, man. A smell, you know, just the, just the smell, man. And, and yeah. Um, the detritus right in the marsh or, 
you know, the dew on a boat when you launch and, you know, or, or, you know, crunching on the rocks over at Port Sulphur Boat Club and, mm-hmm. and just walking down them freaking piers and, and just pushing off and kind of scooting down there and, and kind of running down Freeport yeah. Sulphur. You know, all, man, I can visualize that. I can see it. I can smell it like to this day. And I haven't been there in a year. I haven't been fishing yeah. with pops in a year, man. But, man, that's what, that's what, that's what shaped me as a person, as a man, as a, you know, as a person who loves the outdoors is, yeah, is right. those relationships that I've had of just taking it all in and what a remarkable place, man. It's, it's insane. So anyway. Yeah. All right. So, Hey, this is a trout fishing show. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's <laughs> right. We kind of got, we kind of got off, off, off topic, but uh, I mean, hopefully, hopefully you listen to those, like, uh, you know, appreciate a little bit of variety right yeah and i think there's some there's so many parallels man you know with florida and their water quality issues the the you know the carolinians and in their they still have gill nets in in their waterways and obviously you got you know texas over here that's you know going through some things certainly with you know post freeze that we just had but i think many fishermen can relate to some extent with maybe some of the local issues that they're or challenges that they're facing. But mm-hmm. I think in the end of it, most of our listeners really have an understanding of, I just want it to be better than when I found it. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's a good thing. So, but, um, trout fishing stories, man, I, I got you for a few more minutes. And, and again, this is a trout fishing show, but I think Shane and I, I'm, talking going back to sarsaparilla uh, <laughs> i would imagine that you you like to target some big trout is that right oh yeah yeah i mean i still love to do it uh, i mean i i uh you know i i and and and, 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 I, and like i said not to get off topic but i've got a lot of uh, you know you, you said it earlier you can catch a lot of big trout in texas right i mean mm-hmm. so i get a lot of people that want redfish big redfish just because they catch big trout where they're coming from, but, but I still do like it. It's just, I mean, you know, I hate to, I hate to tell people this, but I don't, I don't get a chance to fish very often. I mean, I take people fishing. I don't go fishing. I mean, just about every day that is good enough to be fishing. I'm out on the water with paying customers. So, but yeah, I still do love to. Yeah. If you were to be, let me phrase that. Uh, if you were by yourself, non-paying customers, actually by yourself, nobody there, you had the day off, weather conditions were perfect, um, were you, would you go target like big trout? Like what would you do in your, in your spare time on the water if you had a day? Would you go target big, big trout? Or I, I still, I still love catching big trout on top water. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this time of year in Venice is... Now, even though it's not the fishery it used to be, you know, down around South Pass, you know, around the in the over the cane stubbles, mm-hmm. just inside the Gulf, I mean, there's still the potential to catch some really nice fish, you know, throwing top. Now, right now we got a real high river this year, but um, you know, if it's not this this early springtime, you know, throwing top waters, you know on a rising tide over the, you know, mm-hmm. the edge of the beaches or the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the outside points, you know, there's still the potential to catch some really nice trout in Venice. And, uh, you know, that, that's just, 
the the uh, a big trout hitting the top water is is it never gets old, right? I mean, let's yeah. face it, it's just a lot of fun, you know. Um, and I've always caught, you know, besides the guys who used to use bait, you know, to catch like, you know, used to have a lot of, you know, fishing rodeos, we call them or tournaments, you know, not as many strictly trout tournaments, but you know, you know, that growing up down here and, you know, those guys would throw live pogies or what have you, you know, cause they're trying to catch, you know, looking for one big bite, um, to try to catch the heaviest and biggest trout they possibly can. But to me, you know, throwing, uh, you know, a, a top water is just, it's just a lot more fun to catch them that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and fooling them into eating something completely unrealistic. Uh, certainly a big trout, you know, and, and kind of seeing again that, that sunrise, right. Yeah. Uh, just peeking over the top, right. Or, or just, you know, exiting the horizon and, and all of a sudden you kind of working at top, top dog you see it maybe you see a little bit of that that tide falling over that cane stubble or you know you know coming around a point or something like that and watching that bait just kind of tick 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 and all of a sudden boom yeah Uh, i'm with you man i mean there's there's very few things that are are better than that i mean i certainly uh you know throwing corkies here uh you know paul bernard fat boys is definitely something that they're very very niche you know and Mm -hmm. And gosh, you love them uh, when when they really kind of peak, and um, it's just fantastic. But for big trout in your life, though, you know, run us through maybe a story or two that's kind of you know stuck out to you, or that you wouldn't mind sharing with some of the listeners. You know, it's I, I can remember that it was this time of year, and I don't remember. I'm sure it was April. I mean, it, it's been many, 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 many years ago. And, um, you know, I remember it was kind of foggy, so we kind of was waiting at the dock. And, you know, I said, it's not that big a deal because we got a rising tide and tide needs to get up anyway. And when the fog started to lift, we made our way down river. And I had two customers on my boat, and we were all throwing top water. And, you know, back then, you know, when we were on these, you know, catch and release kind of trips, you know, you know, a lot these these two particular guys, they had fished with me a good bit, so I'd fish with them, you know. I don't mm-hmm. fish a whole lot. Like, when I'm guiding nowadays, I might pick up a rod if I don't, you know, if I'm kind of like wanting them to do something they're not or just to show them where the fish are. But generally, you won't even see me with a rod in hand. But this particular mm-hmm. year, way back when, so it was just, you know, it was still a little foggy. We pull up on a spot down river, and, you know, we throw in top waters. And literally, we all three, this is no joke, we all three hook hook up, mm-hmm. throw it over this this old stubble patch. We all three hook up almost simultaneously, and this is back. I didn't have any fancy scale. All I had was I think I might have had like a Berkeley, you know, Berkeley trilene <laughs> spring yeah. spring. You know, it was a, it was a digital, but I oh, mean, okay. it, it, saying it was you know accurate was you know how accurate? Who knows? But I mean. There was two eight, two at almost eight, and one over nine pounds. Three fish simultaneously. Holy crap! And that is not a fish story. That is fact. And for the longest time, I had pictures. I had a picture of, you know, because we didn't have cell phones. I don't even think we had cells. If we did, they damn sure didn't have a camera on them. Yeah. But um, you know, I had a picture of the two guys holding their trout, and then they took a picture of me holding mine. 
Hmm. And um, the one I caught was over nine pounds. Now, we put them back. We let yeah. them go. I mean, what you going to, you know, even back yeah. then, it was like, what you going to kill a big old. Now, see, not long. I mean, I would I would have been the only one. I, put it this way. There weren't many guides back then that would have done that. They would have brought them in, right? Yeah. I mean, but, you know, to me, it was always like, you know, these are the big, mature, spawning fish. I mean, this is the one we got to let go. I mean, not to digress any further because we've taken a lot of time, but I've always felt like, you know, not every trout, not every fish has the, the genetics to be a trophy fish. So that's just my opinion. So if you take out those fish that do have the genetics, then you're taking out the chance that you're going to have more of those trophy fish spawned off down the line. Now, I may be totally wrong. I mean, I may be totally wrong, and you might better tell me that, and maybe a biologist will tell me, oh, that's, that's bull. But I just, you know, just like every person can't be seven-foot-tall center in the NBA or whatever you want to say since basketball is going on right now, not every trout stands a chance of being nine, eight, nine, ten pounds. So I've always felt like your bigger fish, the more healthy, bigger size, you need to let them go because that's your that's your that's your trophy makers. So yeah. I hate to digress, but yeah, that's just where no, I look at it. To be honest with you, Shane, we could go another hour, um, but I will say this, um, and i i want to I want to shelf that point mm-hmm. because I'd love to have you back on here to, to yeah. talk more about that. My pleasure. But, but I will say, um, from what I've read, seen, talked to a lot of you know folks about Gerald Horse, uh, Dr. Greg Stun here, um, uh, and then actually, man, I wish I could find that paper. I, I cannot find it for the life of me, and I, I'll have to reach out to Gerald Horst again. Uh, but he shared with me, and so he was doing that Trout Watchers program. I talked mm-hmm. to actually Todd Masson when he was. Uh, he participated out or I think helped write that actual paper or something along those lines. And then doc Bob Weiss was actually a participant in the Southeast side. Long story short, um, they harvested fish over 25 inches and they cut out their ear bones and they aged those fish. Mm-hmm. And on average <clears throat> 25 inch fish, you know, four and a half, let's say five poundish uh, range. But, they were showing that in some of these fisheries, Pontchartrain Complex over in the east side, Breton Sound area, uh, some of those fish were reaching that potential of 25 inches within like three years. Yeah. Uh, and so to your point, which is, yeah, NBA is going on right here, but I, I use the analogy, hey, man, there's Shaquille O'Neal's in the world and there's Danny DeVito's. That's right. And, and, and so I feel like you, and I share that same, is that there's a genetic makeup in some of these bigger fish and some of these populations that if you remove that genetic line, we've now lost the Shaquille O'Neal's of the world and and we're now we're stuck with a bunch of Danny DeVito's. Yeah. And so, I th- again, I think that's just going back to reasonable thought and I think it's backed by a little bit of science uh, from some of these programs, which I think are fairly telling, but um, it's never a a terrible practice to at least kind of err maybe on the side of caution, unless that fish is just completely gone, you know, gill rakers and all that stuff, just completely demoralized. Um, yeah. You might want to harvest that fish at that point, but yeah. Uh, but letting it go. And honestly, man, I just think at the end of it, man, it's just good karma. That's right. Um, I'm with you. It, so um, you pay it forward. And I think, I think mother earth and, and kind of the fishery pays it back. So, anyway. yeah, I agree. But, 
Well, I appreciate it, brother. I really do, Shane. Thanks so much, man, for being on the podcast uh, today. I really, I really, really do appreciate it, man. Oh, man, look, it was my pleasure. And, and, hey, if you'd like to have me back, I'd be more than happy to. I mean, like I said, I can never, ever, you know, you can ask my wife. I, I can't stop talking. So, and, and I've been doing this a long time. So, you know, hey, I don't have a, you know, I got an environmental degree. I don't have a, I don't have a, a fisheries degree, but look, I'm out there an awful lot and, and I ain't a dumb guy. So kind of, you know, I, I'm not a braggadocious kind of guy, but I mean, I, I'll tell you what I think I know. And if you want to go with it, I'm, I'm all about it, but, but I love talking fishing and I'd, I'd love to come back on and talk another yeah. time. No, and, and I think you're right, man. A, a lot of what you've seen, learn, uh, really overshadows what most people are taught, right? You've seen it, you've experienced it, you've kind of been taught by, you know, the estuary, by the fishery of yeah. what they, you know, so you've, you've immersed yourself far more than a guy who's sitting in a lab doing X, Y, or Z, right? But um, it is cool to see both sides where you have an angler who is a little bit more science-based like yourself and maybe thinks through it a little bit more through that lens mm -hmm. uh, because now you're starting to see, okay, maybe that is the case. Uh, with some tangible evidence of you, a guide on the water a lot. So um, Shane, again, man, thanks so much. Uh, definitely. We'll have you back on there. Cause one, I really, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think there's a lot more to discuss uh, yeah. certainly down in South Louisiana. It's always good reminiscing, man, about back in my home waters and stuff. So. All right, man. All right, buddy. Well, Hey, let me close out this show and uh, stand by real quick and I'll, I'll catch you on a, on the back end. So hold on one sec, but you got it. every, Hey everyone, thanks so much. Uh, really appreciate it. again, Shane, uh, Captain Shane Mayfield. Look him up down in the Venice area if you are looking to book a trip or heading down there. Uh, awesome guys, you heard. But aside from that, uh, really just uh, uh, really high in production. But aside from that, I want to thank all of our sponsors uh, from Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, the original Custom Corky, Waterloo Rods, Real Sportswear, Down South Lures, and last but not least, Stinky Pants Fishing. Really do appreciate all of our sponsors for sponsoring the podcast. Without them, honestly, again, none of this um, really could could exist. So I really appreciate them for helping us bring the show to you guys. So show them some love as you always do. Uh, so until next time, guys, always remember, take what you need, release the rest, and tight lines, and God bless. Take care.